Okay. So, <clears throat> we were learning about joy. Yes. Pleasure, right? Yes. Okay. And we spent some time discussing what does it mean that when we do things it gives us pleasure? We bring his godliness down. That's right. We bring his godliness down into the world. Okay. Okay, so now let's go back. We discussed that there's a tzaddik, and a tzaddik is someone who actually takes something which is not holy, mainly himself, and makes it holy, right? And that's obviously an accomplishment, right? That obviously is achieving something. Mm-hmm. But a bainani never actually makes themselves holy, right? So then there's a, there's a question, what, they're, what are they actually accomplishing? So, <clears throat> the answer to that, we said, was that when a person subdues the sitra achra, the klipa in themselves, that, that causes Hashem to subdue the klipa more generally, which then brings a, the glory of God rise above all, more than any praise, and this ascent is greater than all else, and so forth. Yes? Okay. Now, I'm going to skip ahead because I think it's a little bit easier to explain it somewhat out of order. There is a mistake. And the mistake is to think that a person who is a tzaddik is accomplishing something because they've made themselves holy. The goal in serving Hashem is to bring Hashem pleasure. Or, as it says in our text, um, there's a paragraph that says there are two kinds of gratification before him, blessed be he. So you can use the word gratification if you want. But the purpose of serving Hashem, what are you supposed to achieve? You're supposed to achieve giving Hashem pleasure, giving him gratification. Now, we already learned last week that what does that mean? It doesn't mean making Hashem feel good. It means? No, that's the how. What does it mean that Hashem has pleasure? This is being revealed, right? To cause Hashem's revelation, right? So, <clears throat> if a tzaddik were to somehow transform themselves, but that wouldn't cause Hashem to be revealed, or in other words, it wouldn't give Hashem pleasure, using the metaphor, would the tzaddik really be accomplishing the goal? Let me, let me give you an analogy. Um, the goal of writing is what? The goal of writing. What? To convey ideas, right? So if you are writing and you're not conveying any ideas to anyone else, you're not processing your own ideas, right? Then are you really accomplishing anything, even though there's letters on the page? No. No, right? So if the, if the tzaddik transforms himself into a holy being, but that doesn't actually bring about a revelation of God into the world, then is the tzaddik actually serving God? No, but is that in theory or that actually happens? No, it's in theory. But so now once we know that, right, so we have to differentiate between what you're accomplishing versus how you're accomplishing it. All service of Hashem is what? It's giving Hashem pleasure, i.e. revealing Hashem in the world. Right? Then the question is, how do you do that, right? Right. So how does the tzaddik do that? No. By becoming holy. How does the Bainani do that? By 
No, but that's what I'm asking you. How is the how? Right, the what? The what are they both doing? They're both revealing Hashem in the world. Yeah. How does the tzaddik reveal Hashem in the world? What is the thing that the tzaddik has to do? What? He makes himself holy. What does the baini do to reveal Hashem in the world? Right, but more specifically, subdues the sitra achra. Okay. So in other words, like this, you have this thing called the sitra achra, the klipa. And klipa, why is klipa good? Because klipa is the thing that can be used to bring Hashem into the world, to reveal Hashem, to give Hashem pleasure. How can you use klipa to make give Hashem pleasure or reveal Hashem in the world? Same thing. What's the answer? The answer is either you can transform the klipa or you can subdue the klipa. Either of those will work. Are the, which one is better? Yeah. Why do you assume that? I don't think so. Why do you assume that? Transforming it is the same as getting rid of it. It's still, it's still going to be there and it can still be used. But which one is a better way of revealing Hashem in the world? Well, that wasn't one of your options. Your options were subduing or transforming. If you transformed it, then you've gotten rid of it. But what? There is no, there is no delete button, right? There's turn it in, turn it, yeah, change it so it's not klipa, or or it stays klipa and you subdue it. Subdue it so that you're doing. Is that an action in this though? Okay. So what I want, what I want everyone to understand is like this. There's no way for you to answer that question. But you should realize that certain questions you can't answer. Okay. Um, if you go. Um, if you go into an operating room, yeah. Anyone here know how to do surgery? No. No. Okay. Good. Okay. If you, so you go into, if you go into an operating room, okay, can you look at all the different equipment in the operating room and decide which piece of equipment is the most important? No. Why not? What? What? You can assume, but you, you're not necessarily going to be wrong. Well, yeah, but how would you assume? It depends based on what you're trying to do. Okay, so first off, if you don't know anything about surgery, so then how would you know what, what something is used for and how critical it is? Right? Right. Okay. Okay. Number two, right? Mm-hmm. Number two. Right? It may not be right, that there is a strict hierarchy. There are multiple, maybe multiple right, um, different hierarchies. For instance, in terms of making sure that the patient doesn't die from blood loss, right, then we'd say certain things are more important. Making sure the patient um, <clears throat> doesn't, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't uh, wake up in the middle of the surgery is a different issue, right? So there's two things. Number one, if I have no context, I don't even know how to start evaluating things. Number two, not necessarily is there only going to be one clear answer to that, right? There could be multiple issues that are important. Each one is important in their own way. And then for certain things are really important from one perspective. Certain things are other perspectives. And certain things are just not that important. Like if you didn't have that thing, it's okay. We could manage without that. Right? Really? Sure. Like what? Well, let me put you this way, yeah. Do you think that a... They wouldn't a, have do you think, necessary. Uh, well, let's think about it. Do you think about an operating room in um, Venezuela is as equipped as an operating room in Johns Hopkins University? No, no. Are they still able to do successful operations in Venezuela, not no, a hospital? Not. 
Yeah, yes. Like everybody that goes to the operating room dies. No. So they are able to do successful yeah. operations, right? Uh, so that means some of the things that Johns Hopkins has available are not as critical, right? Because okay. clearly you can do without them, right? It might be easier, it might be better, right? Right. <laughs> In other words, there's no real way of evaluating something from the outside. You need to be inside. You need to know what it is, what it's all about, right? And only then can you start, right? So the fact that I know that subduing Klippa reveals God and transforming Klippa reveals God doesn't help me figure out which one is better, right? right. I just know that, you know, there's two buttons you can push. They achieve, a, they achieve a result that is generally similar to each other, which is revealing God in the world, right? Or giving gratification to God or giving God pleasure, revealing his being, whatever you want to call it, right? But beyond that, I have no way of knowing. Right? And by the way, if, if we move back to the realm of mitzvahs, this should be pretty clear, right? Which mitzvah brings more godliness into the world? Shabbos candles or tefillin? There's no way for you to know that, right? If I know that putting on tefillin reveals godliness in the world, then lighting Shabbos candles reveals godliness. It doesn't, like, I, I'm so unfamiliar with what that means to bring godliness in the world and how the mitzvahs do that, that I would have no way of judging if one does it better than the other, or if maybe they're different parameters and each one, right? There's no way for me to know that, right? Okay. Or, for instance, do my mitzvahs have a greater impact or do your mitzvahs have a greater impact? How would I know, right? Okay. So knowing that something, knowing that a certain act or process achieves a certain effect generally doesn't really help you evaluate exactly what way that method is superior or inferior to another method unless you know you're intimately familiar with the details of what's being achieved, right? <laughs> Okay, so, like I said, I'm gonna do this a little bit out of order because I think it's easier to teach it this way. Are there tissues here? Thank you. So. Okay, so, Let's take a step back and summarize. The goal of, you have the klipa. You do something to the klipa, and that's supposed to cause what result? Hashem has pleasure. What does that mean that Hashem has pleasure? Hashem is revealed, right? So we now have something that reveals Hashem in the world, right? In other words, there's a connection between Hashem and the world. Okay, now. So the Altareb is going to use, and we'll see this in the text um, later, the Altareb is going to use the analogy of food. Right? Why would we use the analogy of food? Well, because food is a similar type of thing. Right? You have a soul, you have a body. Won't get fed. No, neither get fed. Bodies don't need to eat. You can go to the cemetery and see, nobody's hungry. <laughs> right? Souls don't need to eat. Right? They seem to live on eternally. 
So who needs to eat? The body doesn't need to eat. The soul doesn't need to eat. Who needs to eat? Yeah. Right. The eating, right, right. The eating is meant to facilitate the soul being with the body, right, right. So the eating draws the soul into the body and keeps the soul in the body. So I have this thing, namely food, and I do something with the food, and as a result of doing this thing with the food, it causes the soul to be manifest in the body, right? Which is why, for instance, if you haven't eaten for a while, what happens to your intellectual and emotional abilities, which are aspects of the soul? They don't work as well, right? They, they withdraw from the body. I mean, there's degrees of your soul being in the body, which we're going to get to. Okay? So your soul, if you haven't eaten in a while, you're not going to think as clearly, right? You're not going to have the emotional maturity to deal with things, right? And you do eat, your soul re-engages the body, right? So <clears throat> the food kind of is doing something to get the soul to manifest in the body, right? In a way that's kind of similar. You do something with the klipa, and somehow that causes Hashem to be revealed in the world, mm -hmm. right? So in that sense, we could kind of say that what are we doing with the klipa? We're changing. Well, what are you doing with the food? You're eating it. You're eating it. Don't be spiritual right now. What are you doing with the food? You're using it to what? You're eating it, right? But what does eating mean? What? You're helping yourself. You're giving yourself nutrients. You are getting pleasure. That's important. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But let's start again from the beginning. None of this works if that in the middle of the flow of thought, you like tune out and then tune back in and then just guess. Does your soul need to eat? No, it doesn't. Soul? soul doesn't need to eat. Soul's not... Together with the body. What? I thought it works with the body. And if it doesn't, and when people die, their soul's perfectly fine, right? The soul doesn't... The soul's not sitting in heaven starving, right? So the soul doesn't need to eat. Does the body need to eat? Also no, right? So what needs to eat? Your stomach. The combination. Right, the combination of the two. The, the, the living person, right, which is the soul and the body, needs to eat. If you eat, the soul is able to manifest in the body more fully. If you don't eat, the soul can't manifest the body so fully, right? So you're taking these things, right? Plants and animals, not you, right? This other stuff. And you're doing something with it to cause your soul to be manifest in your body, right? So what are we doing with the klipa? We're feeding Hashem. Now, does Hashem need to eat? No. But then again, does your soul need to eat? So in what sense does Hashem need to eat? Right. We, right. Eating is not about staying alive. It's that the living part should be manifest in the dead part, right? But that still doesn't make sense about Hashem. Why? Hashem needs your food to manifest itself here? Why not? What? Why not? Why not? Oh, we actually discussed in the beginning last part. Why not? <clears throat> Why not? Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe we'll get to that. Like, I'm not getting into right. What you're touching on is well. Why did I'm not? I'm just asking about the simple fact. Of the matter is, if it the facts of the matter, right? If you don't eat food, what happens to your intellectual and emotional capacities? 
They manifest or they withdraw? Good. If we don't either transform or subdue the klipa, what happens to the revelation of God? It withdraws. So, in that sense, we're using the klipa to feed God in the similar sense that we use food for ourselves. Okay? Make sense? Okay. Now, now let's go a little bit deeper. Why is it that food is able to get the soul in the body? What is it that food has? No. It has a taste. That's right. The food triggers pleasure. Okay. The food triggers pleasure. And so, right, which is why, and this is very important, because the analogy of eating, for instance, I drink this cup of coffee, right? At what point does the coffee get my soul to really re-engage? If I make the cup of coffee. When you drink it. When I drink it. Now, how long does it take for me to digest the coffee? A couple of minutes. Some, some, somebody here took a biology class. A couple, couple hours. A couple hours, right? Six. Now, it depends what, right? The, the caffeine probably gets in my bloodstream in about 20 minutes. Right? The sugar. How long does that take? Maybe an hour or something, right? Yeah. Depending on what else is there, right? If there were complex carbohydrates in here, which there aren't, they would take much longer because if you break them down, turn them into sugars, right? It's the whole thing, right? Yeah. When I wake up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee, how quickly does that wake me up and I'm alert? First sit, right? Especially if it's a good cup of coffee. Hot enough, right? Tangy enough, but not too tangy, right? Right amount of milk sugar ratio, right? So what does that tell us? Right, right. There's right. There's it's triggering that pleasure, and that pleasure is my soul coming in, right? Right. And that's the main analogy that we're talking about of eating. We're talking about eating not as a fueling, not right, but that it triggers something, right? And so it brings the person out. By the way, very interesting. Um, you can do other things to wake yourself up in the morning. What are some other things you can do to wake yourself up? You could splash water. Right? You could also do things, for instance, um, like if so, anything, anything that kind of... Remember how we said that pleasure is triggered because something like you're, you're, that deeper part of yourself is sensitive to? Anything that you're sensitive to when it shows up... right? Think about it. You're, it's really late at night. You're tired. And then something really relevant shows up. Either it's either fun, either something very funny, or it's like very it's very important. Funny and relevant. Yeah, relevant relevant to you. Relate. Yeah. Like you could be like falling asleep and all and talking to someone and schmoozing, and all of a sudden they say something and you wake up. Why? Because that's something you're sensitive to, right? So that's the same dynamic that's happening with the food. Okay. I'm not going to explain the difference between food and talking, but that's the dynamic that's happening, right? So when something outside of the soul and the reality of the body triggers that sensitivity in the soul, the soul lights up and engages, right? Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now. Like talking for me wakes me up. But it probably makes a difference what you're talking about and who you're talking to, right? Okay, so, so now, 
the the klipa, if you just have some klipa in the world, it's Hashem's sense of like, ooh, there's klipa, now he's drawn into the world, now he's just revealed into the world, now it's just, the pleasure just radiates off of Hashem because there's klipa in the world? No. Something has to happen to the klipa, right? Yeah. What are the two possibilities? What are the two things that, can, that God is sensitive to that trigger him, so to speak? Subduing klipa or transforming klipa. Yeah? That makes sense? What? No, we're not talking about the klipa. We're talking about a shep. Okay? So. So, let's go through the, the person. In a person, if the food is something that your soul is sensitive to, it resonates with, then what does that do? It draws the soul out, and then you get that being more awake, being more alert, right? You're... Your intellect, your emotion, they, they turn on, you're alive, you're engaged, right? Even before your body starts processing the chemicals in the food. Right? The experience, the taste of it, right? The texture of it, right? That triggers that pleasure. Okay? Similarly, when the klipa encounters something that, change, that, that affects it from the realm of holiness, what happens? That's something that Hashem is sensitive to, and then what does that bring out? A revelation of Hashem, right? And in that sense, we're using the klipa to, so to speak, feed Hashem. Good? Okay. Counterintuitive way of thinking that we're feeding Hashem, but, you know, it does say in the Chumash and Tanakh all the time that we're feeding Him, so, you know. After all, aren't that what sacrifices are? Okay, now. What? Right? Well, davening is a place where you can, you know, tzaddik makes themselves holy. What? It's probably disturbing for me. Okay. So now, the. Let's take a step back and think, okay. Why would it be, or what does it, what does it say about Hashem that the subduing of Klippa or the transformation of Klippa into holiness are things that trigger him? What does that say about him? Because, after all, the things that trigger your pleasure, as we said in the previous class, that tells us something about who you are deep down inside, right? If somebody else trips and falls and you find that funny, what does that say about you? You're, there's some cruelty deep down inside of you, you're, right, in your core. Okay, so what does it say about Hashem that the subduing of Klippa or the transformation of Klippa into holiness triggers him? What does it say about him? He really doesn't like Klippa, does he? He really doesn't. Like him and Klippa don't go well together. Okay. And so there's the turning the klipa into holiness, right? Mm -hmm. And that's more about getting rid of the klipa and replacing it with holiness, right? That's really what that is. And then there is subduing. So let's use this, let's talk on, let's think of an analogy in, in with people, okay? Let's say there's someone you really don't like, okay? If you really don't like somebody, what do you want to happen? Bad. What? Bad. Well, there's two possibilities. What? They shouldn't be around you. But that's not something you want to happen. Right. That's just like an absence. Like if they're not around, that's great. But, but that's not going to, right? Mm -hmm. 
So one possibility, right, is that the thing about them you don't like changes. That would be nice, right? Mm -hmm. right? Can you think of anybody you don't like? Don't have to mention them out loud. And think about how it would be really nice if the thing that you think you not like them would just change. I don't think it goes like that. Why not? Because once you have something about them that you don't like, you just connotate them as bad and you just don't like them. I think that also depends on the person. Like you or the, the person. Okay, but if, one second, one second, one second. One second. And if that thing, so if that thing would change, would they be them anymore? Yeah, but you still have bad, like, connotations with them. No, but if it would really change. If it would really, really change. Then yeah, then I guess it's alright. Yeah. But um, that basically means you just want them to be someone else, someone that they're not, right? Yeah. Okay. So, right? We, and we all familiar with this idea, right? There's people that we just wish they were... They, there's people that we wish they wouldn't be them, they would be somebody else. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a small way, maybe in a big way. Okay. So Hashem looks at the Klippa and he really wishes the Klippa would be... Something else. And so if the clip actually becomes something else, what does that do? What does that do? <coughs> that triggers the revelation, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It, so it sounds more to me like if Hashem really doesn't like Klippa, then why would Hashem create Klippa? Like I guess just with it, it sounds more like the thing that Hashem, Hashem's less motivated by the hatred for the klipa and more so for the pleasure brought about by people, like people's free will and then making a choice to be good. Maybe, but let me get back to you on that for a second. Now, what's the other thing you might want to happen if you really don't like somebody? You want things to be you know, like that's right. You want things not to go right for them. Yeah, something like something bad is very right. Right. You want them to be, I believe the word is subdued. You want them to be humiliated, knocked down, put in their place. Right? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't there? Isn't there? Isn't there something? Isn't there something like really satisfying about seeing your enemies like? I don't really like. That's so good. Like real enemy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends. I have a real enemy. Yeah. Okay. And then you see them fail, and it's just. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just like that. Exactly. Yeah, but I guess you relate. That's right. What? So you you've heard the story you've heard the story of Mordechai and, and and Esther you've heard that story it's like one of, yeah okay so at one point in that story Mordechai um, is um, supposed to be led around on the king's horse wearing the king's robes by Haman yeah. yes okay so let us just run through this story why how did that come about Th that whole event that Mordechai is riding on the horse and Haman's leading him through the streets. Haman hated Mordechai, and he wanted to get Mordechai killed, right? Mm -hmm. And then Haman says, then Ahasuerus asks Haman, what should be done to some of the king wishes to honor? Oh, the, 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 
right? And what's very important in that scene is that who has to be humiliated as part of that scene? Who has to be subdued? Mordechai, right? But then it's reversed, and it turns out the one that Achshosh wants to honor is Mordechai. And therefore, who has to be humiliated? Haman. Okay, now, so Achshosh, she's not exactly the most moral person in the world, right? Haman, not the most moral. So let's come to Mordechai. So now Mordechai is coming, and Mordechai is supposed to be raised up, and Haman, his enemy, is supposed to be subdued, right? What happens? Now, this is not actually in the, written in the Megillah. This is written in the Medrash. He, like, totally can't get on the horse and, like, make That's right. Mordechai has a field day with this. He's first off, he says, Haman, I'm wearing sackcloth and I'm fasting and I'm, like, all grimy. I've got to be bathed and I've got to, like, have a haircut. And um, so Haman says, but, but who's going to cut your hair? I mean, everything is closed in honor of the parade. Well, I guess you're going to have to bathe me and give me a haircut. And I can't get on the horse because I'm too weak, so you're going to have to bend down and have to step on you. And as Mordechai steps on Haman to get onto the horse, he gives him a nice kick. Oh, it says that? Yeah. yeah. I've never heard a kick, Mark. Yes. Yeah. To which Haman, being a learned man, says, but doesn't it say that you shouldn't rejoice at the downfall of your enemies? Yeah. To which Mordechai says, that applies to Jews. <laughs> <laughs> not, to wicked, not to wicked Amalekites like you. Really? Right? Yeah? You've heard of, you, you, yeah, you, you, in other words, there is this idea, right? I mean, look, we make a whole party, right? And we celebrate the downfall of Haman, right? No, Haman did not hang himself. He was hung with his ten sons. He was, he was, first off, he was not hung. He was not hung, he was hanged. He was not, he's not a, he's not an article of clothing. Who he was hanged. Him? Who hanged him? Achashverosh's officers hanged him. Was he, was he hanged with, with, with his ten sons? Or he or was hanged, and then a year later, his ten sons were hanged with him. I don't think there was much of him left at that point. I was going to say, they were hanged on the same, whatever, hung, hanged on the same gallows. Yeah, but, well, well I, what happened yeah. the I mean, this is an interesting... Why was still hanging? Why not? Yeah, what happens if it doesn't make that the year later? Yeah, but you fall. No, you get like eaten. You well, get I, so there's still some stuff left. It's such an Iranian punishment. Well, that's actually interesting that you bring that up because the word for crucifixion in both Hebrew and Aramaic is also the same word for hanging. So, which made me have the question was, were they crucified or were they hanged? Now, you know. So like Chin checked, and it turns out they both hanged and crucified, which now means I have this open question. Was he hanged by the neck until he was dead, or was he crucified? Because the language tolerates both interpretations. Historically, the Persians did both. So, but, I don't know. Historically, the Persians did both, did Yes, yeah. But in medieval Europe, in medieval Europe, in the Middle East, there was only hanging. There was no crucifixion happening. Right. So there it would make sense that we all interpret it as hanging. No, because we say the eighth, okay, then you could crucify the eighth. That's exactly how, you, that's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> and what's really weird is in Roman times, you know how like they have the whole like human effigy thing? Yeah. You like make an effigy? So in Roman times, you know how the Jews made the, the effigy of Haman? On mm. a cross. No. Crucified. The Christians were not happy Why with this. Wait, say that again. What happened? The, the effigies Why that they would make of Haman in Roman times. What? The Jews, when they would, the Jews would make burn parties, and they'd, yeah. they'd, so you'd, you'd like burn Haman in effigy? Yeah. So Haman, like my neighbors burn Haman in effigy, but he's hanging from his neck. He's not even hanging, but just put him in the 
Oh no no no! They have like a whole. They have like a whole. They have they have a whole gallows built in. They have like a whole stuffed person. Except this year because of Corona. But every other year. What? Yeah. So then and then he's like 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 a straw man hanging. He's hanging from a gallows and then perm night they burn him. Like nowadays, like in Iran, like the punishment from the government is still to be hanged. Right. So, you ask, like, what you mentioned, like, what? It's a theoretical possibility. (laughs) Anyway, so, anyway, the the Christians in the Roman Empire, once they became ascendant, really didn't like the Jewish Purim parties for. Yeah. The burning cross? We were the first ones. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, back to... So, yeah, so there's these two things. There's the idea of you want your enemies not to be your enemies, right? But if your enemies aren't going to be your enemies, then that means they have to stop being who they were, right? That's called transformation, okay? Okay? And in Aramaic, this is known as isapcha. Isapcha means to transform. But if you're, another thing you might want, another thing that might speak to you if you have enemies is... So you can see them getting kicked when they're down, right? Mm-hmm. And that is known as subduing or subjugating, and that is known in Aramaic as iskafia. Which one, which one has more power to it? When your enemy's stopping your enemies and become someone else? Yeah, it's like nice, it's pleasant, but it doesn't have the it doesn't have the power. That's right. Subduing. No, 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 no. No, no. That's how Escafia means you have an enemy and you subdue them. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Like when Mordecai's got to leave a kick? Like, wait, like, Haman makes Haman get down on the ground. He steps on Haman and gives him a kick. And gets, now, Haman is still Haman, right? Haman gets right back up after that. And he runs to Achashverosh, and he's planning on getting Mordechai killed, right? Haman, Haman is still his enemy. And what would that scenario be? His hapcha would mean, like, what happened to Haman's property. What happened to Haman's property? It became Esther's property. Oh, oh, so right. Like, we don't want Haman's great grandchildren learned Torah and were, were, were some of the sages in the Talmud. Is a harder level to reach. Uh, but what we're seeing is like this. if the goal is to bring out a revelation of Hashem, to give Hashem pleasure, right? Well, which one of those is more powerful? So Subduing your enemies or changing your enemies into your friends? Yes. So. Basically, we don't want it to be like happily ever after. That's like, right. I want to still have you be horrible. <laughs> that's right. It's like when the movie's over and the enemy's been defeated. That's not as great as like seeing him getting knocked down, right? Which is why, like, you know, they have to. This is a this is a problem for the sequels. How do you bring the enemy back to beat him down a second time? Just doesn't have the same power. They make the internal change, and now they're just a different yeah. person. Yeah. It's like boring. Right. So now let's think about now think about it in context of food, right? So there's all there's all kinds of food that tastes good. There's all kinds of food that tastes good. Yeah. Broadly speaking, we're going to divide food into two categories. There's food that's going to be sweet and food that's going to be not sweet, savory, sour, bitter, that kind of stuff. Now, here's the thing. Which one? Which one really wakes you up? Savory. Well, uh, let's 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 take an extreme example. You know. If the person is asleep, or they're fainted, Sweet. and you put in front of their nose 
some, you know, I don't know, strawberries. Not gonna help. Not gonna help, right? <laughs> but if you put like some really, you know, some chrein, some harif, what's happening? Why? Because it brings out, right, that, that intensity of the pleasure that's brought out is more powerful, right? So the altar uses this idea that, yes, you can bring out the revelation, you can give God pleasure by either transforming the klipa or by subduing the klipa. Which one's more powerful? We can't say which one's more powerful. The Alter Rebbe is a prophet, right? <laughs> he looked in the spiritual realm and was like, hmm, actually the Zohar says it, right? Let's go back and read the Zohar. So like, like... <coughs> when the Sitrachar is subdued, not transformed, subdued, for then <coughs> the glory of the Holy and Blessed be rises above all more than any praise, and this end is greater than all else. What brings out a more profound... What? Yeah. When it's subduing. Yeah. Okay. Now, so that means subduing Klippa is greater than transforming Klippa, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yes? What yes? Was that yes, yes or no? Yes. No. no. It's more powerful. Ah, right. So we need to have this idea of there's two different parameters, okay? It's better in one sense, okay? But there's another sense, which is like this, okay? Um... I want to ask you a question. What would you rather have in your life? Enemies? Like, think about this. Your life. Not watching a movie, not reading a book in your life. Would you rather have enemies that you're constantly subduing? Or would you rather have friends? Friends. What? Friends. Why? Why? Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you're looking, what kind of life have? If you, what kind of life do you have? If you have enemies, and you keep subduing them. Not a fine line. It's very exciting. It's very intense. What is it not? It's not enjoyable. It's not so stable. It doesn't. It's fun at the moment. It's like thrilling, whatever. But it's not. It's not way to live. Right. So there's this tension between, between. The stability of things, right, versus the excitement and adventure of things, right? Okay. Um, little children, do they need to learn to appreciate the taste of chrein and schug and dill yeah. and pickles? Yeah. yeah, they generally keep tr- try giving a one-year-old these things. Yeah, fine. My, uh, <laughs> I like tonic water. You know what tonic water tastes like? Yeah. I think it tastes great. So my my one-year-old, I was drinking some tonic. No. No, it's like. Tonic water tastes like tonic water. It doesn't taste like... I never had it until I was in Israel. Right, gin and tonic. Although I've never had gin and tonic. It's not just plain sparkling water. No, it has a taste. It's got this very like bitter, sour, with sweet, a little sweet. What? It's bitter. It's got a bitterness to it. They have sugar in it. Anyway. What? Anyway. It doesn't taste sweet. So anyway, so my kids... They got me and my wife Shalchmanas, so they, they got oh. things for me and for my wife, so they got a bottle of tonic water. So I was drinking the tonic water, and my one-year-old comes over, and he sees me drinking the tonic water, and of course, he, whatever I'm having, he has to have. It's like, okay, so I gave him, and he takes the cup, and he goes like this. <laughs> <laughs> right? But strangely, like, if he has sugary stuff, that doesn't happen, right? right. Okay. Um, Right, there's, there's, there, right, and you, right, you have to like, right, you don't just like 
down lemon juice. There's a way to do it, right? Um, so the way Hasidus understands this is that the same, there's, the, there's a, there's food that it just, the way it is, you enjoy it, you appreciate it, it's great, it's wonderful. And then there's food, which is actually a bit of conflict. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, that um, you know what makes spicy food good? The spice. And what is the spice? What taste is the spice? Like, just chemically speaking. It's the burning, actually. The what? Yeah. It's actually like, it actually, yeah, it's actually, it's actually what's happening is that your body's getting a small danger sense, and that, that's thrilling. That's what makes spicy food taste good. It's not like taste in the sense of like sugar taste. And interestingly. But, so you have this, this dynamic where you've got food that it's very powerful, it's very potent, um, it can wake you up from a faint, yeah. but it doesn't have that, that, that just sits well with you. It doesn't just, you know, you, like, you burns your tongue, basically. Okay? Um, and so, if Hashem is going to reside in the world, be present in the world, in a nice, wonderful, stable way, which kind of pleasure of God needs to be brought out? The pleasure of transforming or the pleasure of subduing? Transforming. transforming. But if you want a more intense and potent sense of God to manifest, even though it's maybe not as stable, then subduing, right? So which one is better depends on what you're, what, you're, what you're looking for, right? If your goal is for the intensity and the loftiness and the greatness and the thrill and the, you know, the cosmic significance, blah, 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 well, then subdue it. But if your goal is to actually have that be a, something that is grounded and integrated and consistent, well, then transform it. Do we do both? Nope. 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 Depends. You? Well... Everyone. Well, we'll learn later on in chapter 35 that's more complicated, but for right now, the only one we do is the subduing. In your life? What kind of people <laughs> So every time the klipa that is us rears its head in our minds and we subdue it, what is happening? Meaning that a more lofty and profound and transcendent revelation of Hashem is being brought into the world than ever is brought by someone making themselves holy. On the other hand, that lofty level, is it really settled and stable in the world? No. no. Which is why it uses words like in the Zohar, it uses the word ascent and rising because even though it's present, it's not really fully integrated. Okay, now how many tribes were there? Twelve. What are their names? It's a trick question because there's two ways of counting the tribes. Mm-hmm. Right, you can either count Levi, in which case you count Yosef, or Menashe and Ephraim. Okay. So which, which member of which, and the other tribes have different parts of the land. So the, the Holy of Holies, the place where Shem dwells on earth, where, which tribe did that belong to? No? Binyamin. Yes. So if you look... If you look, um, okay. this is a bad map, but it illustrates the purposes. Okay? 
So. This is Israel? No. This is Yerushalayim. Oh. This is what we now know as the city of David. This is the actual city of Yerushalayim proper. This is Hartzion, Mount Zion. This is what you probably know as the old city. Although the wall doesn't really go there, right? The old city is more like this, whatever, okay? And at later, this became integrated into the city, right? So the original city of Yerushalayim is over here. Yeah. This, then eventually got the make was bigger and that was incorporated and then things shifted. And this is the Temple Mount. Okay. Now, in Temple Mount, you have the temple, right? Right. And the temple... Right there. Okay? Okay. The Mount of Olives is over here. Good? Okay. Over here, this is the tribe of Binyamin. This is the tribe of Yehuda. Where's the border? The border goes like this, roughly speaking. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so that the Holy of Holies would be in whose tribe? In Benyamin. Now, why, why is that so important that the Holy of Holies be the tribe of Benyamin? Anyone know anything special about Benyamin? What do we know that's special about Benyamin? Anyone know? He did not bet on the Asa, that's true. Okay, what else? Yes. Well, Benyamin the person. He didn't bow down to Asa, that's true. What else? He requested to come down. Who was the only one who was not party in any way, shape, or form to the selling of Yosef? Binyamin. Everyone, including Yosef, was party, right? Yosef kind of instigated the whole thing. So who's the only blameless one? Right? No, not accidentally. He was quite antagonistic. Right? He was. Okay, so, so who's the only one who's free of sin here? Benjamin. Right? Who's the only one who never bows to Asa? So who is the one who represents pure righteousness? Who's the one who represents the idea that the, there is no klipa being sudu, there's just a space that's klipa free? So the Holy of Holies, where God resides... Does that have sorry, that Shaul was perfect, right? Which was a problem. He was, he was not very effective because he was perfect, right? I'm saying that that had been Yama's trait. I don't know. I don't like making stuff up. Okay. Although, you know. Wasn't Yerubim also from there? No. Yerubim was from Yosef. No. no, no, no. Not good. Okay, so, so there's a very big deal, right? So, you know, like, you've heard this idea that in the place where a Baal Tshuva can reside, even a Tzadik can't reside? Yeah. So which is greater, the, the Baal Tshuva or the Tzadik? Well, so first off, the Gemara is a debate, actually. Yeah, the Gemara is a debate. The Zohar comes down conclusively that it's the Balchuva. But you know why? This, why is the Balchuva greater? What does the Zohar say? Because there's more intensity in, in his connection with Hashem and in the revelation he brings out. Which is great, and that's wonderful, but intensity has a downside. What's the downside of intensity? There's a downside of excitement, the downside of adventure. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. Tshuva is It's one hour and one moment. If you want Hashem to dwell permanently on earth, you're going to need which tribe? Right. 
<laughs> right? I mean, think about it. so disappointing that I kind of like make everything we learn. Well, no. What it means is that there are two ways of drawing Hashem into the world, right? There's a way where what you're drawing is maybe more limited. It's more subdued, but its advantage is that it's more stable, it's more permanent, it's more integrated, right? And then there's a way of drawing Hashem into the world that it's more profound, it's more intense, it's more transcendent, right? It's more lofty, right? But it's also more aloof, right? It's more ethereal, okay? So now, which is better? Which is better? Right, so if the, the best thing would be if we could have... Mm, yes? Well, it depends on the we that you're talking about. Remember my, remember my story about Reb Zusha? Reb Zusha said, would you switch places with Avraham? And what was Reb Zusha's answer? Why not? Because you still end up with one Avraham. Now, who ends up with one Avraham? So, does Hashem have both? Because does Hashem have some tzaddikim? Yeah. Does Hashem have some bain in him? Some. Well, yeah. So therefore, as long as Hashem has some tzaddikim and some bain, does it really matter who gets to be the tzaddik and who gets to be the, the bain in him? No. no. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. This is what the, cha- what the chapter is saying. It's like, if you realize the goal is not the achievement that you achieve, but what you do in terms of bringing Hashem into the world. There's no feeling you're ever going to get from it. You're not going to be like, I seduce it, and now I feel like Hashem's in the world more. So, let's, so now let's read. Let's read. Everything I've just explained now will make the, the text, I think, smoother. Okay? So we're going to start from the paragraph which says, therefore. Okay? Therefore, no person should feel depressed nor should his heart become exceedingly troubled, even though he engaged all his days in this conflict. For perhaps this was why, because of this he was created, and this is a service constantly to subjugate the Sitra Achra. What's so great about subjugating the Sitra Achra? It brings pleasure to Hashem. And in fact, it, what's so great about transforming the Sitra Achra is that it is concerning this that Job said, Thou hast created wicked men. Meaning, that God created Rishayim, wicked people. Now, what does that mean? Not that they should actually be wicked, God forbid, but that they shall share the temptations of the wicked in their thoughts and meditations alone, and that they shall eternally wage war to avert their minds from them in order to subdue the Sitrachra. Yet they would not be able to completely annihilate it completely, for that is accomplished by Tzadikim. Okay, so now, one of the questions the beginning of Tanya Valtarba asks is that, that Job, Eov says, Hashem creates the righteous and creates the wicked. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he determines your choices. It means... Can everybody be a tzaddik? No. no. In order to be a tzaddik, what do you need? A gift. You need a special decision from God to like give you that ability, right? Right. Okay. Can everybody be a bainini? Yeah. Well, the question is now, what do we does a bain, If you think of a bainini as merely someone who's just not succeeded in being a tzaddik, or do you think of a bainini as having their own contribution. What is a Bainini able to do? What are they able to do? And what does subduing accomplish? So now, who made the determination that the transformation of Klippa into holiness is going to be meaningful to Hashem? Who made that determination? 
Hashem, right? Yeah. That comes from who made the determination that the subduing of klipa is going to be meaningful to Hashem. So those are acts of who? So why is it that some people, right? This is going to be you ask. Does it? Hashem decided that what's going to be meaningful to him is the, tra- the transformation of evil and the subjugation of evil. Okay. If your existence stems from his deciding that the transformation of evil is meaningful, what kind of person do you have the possibility of being a tzaddik? You have to choose to be a tzaddik, right? right? If your existence comes from the fact that Hashem decided that what's meaningful to him is the subduing of evil, then what kind of person are you going to be? A bainani. I mean, you have to choose to, right? You then have to try to do it, right? In other words, that... In other words, on the face of it, is it, is it a foregone conclusion that anything should be meaningful to Hashem? On the face of it. Is it a foregone conclusion that anything should be meaningful to Hashem? Why? Anything. Like, is it obvious that any, like, who says anything should be meaningful to Hashem? I mean, nothing's meaningful to Hashem. Why should anything be meaningful to Hashem? Because he decided. Oh, because he decided. So if he decided, he's the one who has to determine that, right? Yes. Okay. So how many things did Hashem decide are meaningful? That we've just learned. Two. Okay. When, the, when, when Eev says that Hashem created the righteous, what does that mean? He created people, made them into tzaddikim? No. No, it means? He created people that will transform. He created, what did he, forget the people. What did he create? He create, he created this reality that transformation of evil is meaningful to him. Right? He created that. Yeah. Now, once he created that, does that now become the basis of why some people have the ability to be a tzaddik? Yes. Okay. What else did he create? The pleasure that we'll get from Sutrah. From, not from Sutrah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get blood. From? From the transformation of No, from the transformation. From the subjugation. Yeah. And now if that is the basis of why you exist, yeah. then what kind of person are you going to be? A bainity. Okay. So, in other words, like this. Most people start off, they already have something that like is meaningful to them, something that speaks to them, something that triggers their pleasure, right? right. Okay. With Hashem, if Hashem doesn't make it that certain things trigger his pleasure, would it be tr- trigger him? Would it? Would, it wouldn't be the case, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So step one, Hashem decides for himself. That there will be the, that the transformation of evil into holiness will bring out his pleasure, and that the subjugation of evil will bring out his pleasure, right? right. And that's what is meant when he says he creates the righteous and he creates the wicked. Now, when actually people come into this world, some people come into this world on the basis of fulfilling the create fulfill the hope the hopefully if they choose to do so, they will turn the evil into good, right? And those people we call tzaddikim. And other people that come in the world the basis for subduing the evil, and those people, if they succeed, we call them vain. So Hashem is creating the fact that there's something that actually brings out his revelation. There's something that actually matters to him. That's a creation of God. Right? As opposed to us, what gives us pleasure is usually just kind of something that's built into our nature, right? For there are two kinds of gratification before him, blessed be he. Why are there two kinds? Because he created that. 
One from the complete annihilation, sitrach, and the conversion of bitter to sweet, and from darkness to light. And this is done by the tzaddikim. The second, when the sitrach is subdued, <coughs> while it's at its strongest and most powerful, towards like an eagle, whence the Lord brings her down through the effort of the bainim below. And this is indicated by the verse, make me delicacies such as I love. And the word matamim delicacies is in the plural, indicating that there are two kinds of gratifications, there are two things that Hashem finds meaningful, transformation and subjugation. subjugation. And this, uh, and the words of those, are the Shekhinah to our children, the community of Israel is explained in the Tikkunah, which is part of the Zohar. And the analogy is to material food, where there are two kinds of relishes, one sweet, luscious food, and the other tart or sour articles, food which have been well-spiced and garnished so that they are made into delicacies to quicken the soul. I don't know why he translated as quicken the soul. What do you guys have in your translation? Um, to quicken the soul. Yeah, you have the old one. You have the new one. Which sentence? The end of the paragraph. <coughs> Which revive, that's a better term, right? Going back to, right, it's, this, it's the tart things, right? It's the sour things, it's the bitter things that have that bring out, right? They revive a person, they bring out that more intensity. Okay. So what have we learned? Is the goal in the person? No. No, not even for the tzaddik, the goal is not in the person. The goal is? Right, the goal is to bring out a revelation of Hashem. Yeah. And the klipa is the catalyst. And that, ca- that can be achieved in two ways. Transforming the klipa or subduing the klipa. And it brings out different revelations of godliness. Each one has its virtue. And so when you have an entire community of Israel made up of tzaddikim and bainanim, then what happens? Yeah, it brings out... <laughs> full, complete, now you have a complete revelation. It's... Right, the pleasure is greater, but it's less connected to the world. The transformation, the pleasure is more connected, but it's less pleasurable. And so, so what's the? What, what's better? It depends on what. Where do you have? Where is the pleasure more intense? In the subduing. Where is the pleasure more stable? In the transforming. So you want a community which has. And where each one's doing, where each one's doing their own separate thing, or their function as a whole, as a community with the government. Right. Do you maybe on the way to transforming do subduing? There is some measure of that, but that's not really the point. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, you can't transform that which has not yet been subdued. But sorry, were you saying with the tzaddikim and benonim in regards to subduing and transforming that you're kind of born with that predetermined or like having the predetermined, the predetermined purpose? Right. So in other words, step one is Hashem decides there are two things that are meaningful to me. So like when you're born, Hashem already has a plan for what type of work He wants you to do. That's right. Hence, Reb Zusha's thing, it doesn't really matter as long as you do the work that you were assigned. Okay, but um, in doing the first time and whatever, the other one to go on but a tzaddik, though, does he feel the revelation of Hashem when he transforms a pipa? To some degree, yes. Okay, and the No. And that's for two reasons. Because the ability to perceive the revelation requires you to be holy. Right. So what you mean is that a tzaddik, when you're doing it, is a little less. Which means that tzaddik has a unique kind of challenge, right? In other words, it's much easier for a bainini to serve Hashem for Hashem than it is for a tzaddik. That's correct. A tzaddik has a greater temptation that his service can become about him. Right. In, a, in, a way that's, in a way that's not just like selfish egotism. No, 
right, younger. right, right. I mean, think about it like this. Like, think about it. if a person's married, right? And they, a person's married, and their marriage is really good. It's much easier for the marriage to be about them. But if the marriage is bad, it can much more be like you know, there's an importance of a marriage and for the children, not getting divorced, and blah blah blah. Like they can do it in a more selfless way because like they and their spouse don't get along that's, very well, right? That's right. <laughs> but it, what, no, but, but that's actually the point. In other words, it's because of the closeness that Tzadik actually experienced with Hashem that actually creates the temptation to make it about their experience of the relationship. Whereas the Baini, who's not really experiencing much of anything, well, it's pretty clear, like, either it's about the, the revelation you're bringing into being, because it clearly is not about my self-achievement, because I'm not getting right. very far. And then you somehow connect with Zalachim, <coughs> you're just crazy then. Right, you're deluding, because you're not holy. So like when a person like feels good when they break the drop thoughts. You can feel good because you know what you're accomplishing. But that's not the same thing as experientially feeling good, right? I can, like, if, if, you know, I don't know, if you tutor a kid and it's really annoying and boring, but you know that you're doing a good thing for them, so you can feel good that you did a good thing, but you don't feel like right. that wasn't an enjoyable experience, right. right? But if you're getting along with something, that's an enjoyable experience. Right. Yeah, so they can have this temptation that it can become about them in a way that a bane and he doesn't. When, there's never going to be a time or place where I'm like the bad whatever. If I'm on, if someone's abandoning, there's never going to be a place where it comes enjoyable. It can become it can become we human beings have a capacity to enjoy based on what they know. Okay. So if I know that what I'm doing is meaningful, if you know sorry, what? if I know that what I'm doing is meaningful, I can definitely enjoy it. Right, but it's not like a real enjoyment. It's, like a, it's a cognitive enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. And the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, when he gets to chapter 31 and 33 and 35 and 36 and 37, that becomes the issue that you can really appreciate what you're doing. And, and he even said this here in, the, in chapter 27, right? That you should rejoice. Because what are you accomplishing, right? Exactly. No, you can enjoy it, but, you're, but what you're enjoying is your appreciation of what you are achieving beyond yourself. Right, because like if you appreciate what you're achieving about yourself, either you're deluded or you're lowering your standards pretty low, right? right? The only way to like appreciate in a more experiential sense, a more visceral sense, would be to be a tzaddik. You would have to like remove <coughs> the internal klipa, but that's not your job, so you you can't do it. Someone, I'll give you an answer. Someone once came to the one who comes complaining to the rebbe that he gave a whole class and um, invited, there was like 300 people and only one person showed up. And he was very depressed. What? Um, maybe, the, could be that I'm mixing up stories, but I remember this, Deb said, sometimes you talk to 300 people and one person listens. So what does it matter? The other 300? No, but like, if you're thinking in terms of like what, what are you accomplishing beyond yourself, right? Then it changes everything. And that's exactly what Alter was saying. Is like, the, the reason why, going back to why is a person sad that they're not a tzaddik? Because they think that the goal is personal achievement, personal holiness. But that's not the goal. The goal is to bring about the revelation of Hashem, right? Quote, give Hashem pleasure. And the tzaddik does that. And that's true that tzaddik does that. Right. But what makes the tzaddik so great is not, is not that he's holy. What makes the tzaddik so great is that he does that. Now, his advantage is that he does it in a way that actually settles nicely into the reality of the world, right? Binyamin, right? 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 But the Bainani brings that in a much loftier, more intense way, right? So then, like, and at the end of the day, both are needed. 
So why does it matter which one you are? This is great. We're saying that someone who gets like upset and frustrated, like how come at the end of the day my insides aren't in par with the way I'm acting, is it, it, just selfish or whatever. Yeah. Like basically it's all about him. That's right. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. And this is what is alluded to in the verse. We're going to end this paragraph because this really ties in the next thing. And then tomorrow we'll do the moreover part, which which then talks about how you can take this idea and extend it further. This is what is alluded to in the verse, the Lord hath made everything for his sake, also the wicked unto the day of evil. Meaning, why do we have evil in ourselves? For whose benefit is that? Hashem's. And why is the tzaddik able to transform his evil? Also for whose sake? Hashem, right? It's all for whose sake? That's right. Meaning what? The sake of, not like he's lacking anything, but the sake of revealing him in the world, right? Which is the thing that is decided is what it's all about. Meaning that the wicked man shall repent of his evil and turn his evil into day and light when the sitrach is subdued and the glory of the Holy and Blessed Be He is brought forth on high. So, there we go. So what do you achieve by being a Bainini? I mean, like, for, like, you bring Hashem's revelation to the world in the loftiest possible way. But, do you become holy? No, in fact, that's critical because if you ever became holy, you could not bring Hashem's revelation in such a lofty way into the world anymore. If you what? If you ever, if you became holy. If you became a solid with it? Yeah. Can Hashem give you a gift? You know the famous story the guy comes to the Rebbe and says he wants to marry this non Jewish woman, the Rebbe says, I'm jealous of you? Puts that into a whole new light, right? What does that person have the ability to do? And what does that bring about? And does the Rebbe have the ability to bring that kind of revelation into the world? No. And does the Rebbe appreciate its value? Yes. Now, is the Rebbe like sitting there all miserable because I, I don't, I get, no. That's not, there's not that kind of, there's a jealousy of valuing that someone has something that you don't have, right? That's a different kind of, what? Yeah. It's not a, it's not, a, you know, yeah, so. Good? Yes. It really does change how we think about ourselves, yes? I don't know why, but like, really? like, I'm like shocked that it's all about Hashem. <laughs> You're shocked that it's all about Hashem. <laughs> it's like, I've grown up in Chabad, and they keep saying it, and then finally it's this thing that they actually I know. Like, I don't know why.